Hey folks and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing The Return of the King from 1980 by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. We have Interstellar 5555, The Story of the Secret Star System, directed by Dazuke Nishio, Hiratoshi Ryzen, and Leji Matsumoto. We have Anomalisa by Duke Johnson and Charlie Kaufman. We have Missing Link by Chris Butler. And finally, newly released Spider-Man Across the Spideyverse, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. It's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? <laughs> it's all, Almost didn't have enough runway. The quickest gun in the West. He got it in, though. <laughs> I think I said Spideyverse, too. It's the Spider-verse. Ah, right, right. Spider-verse. In my head, I always say Spideyverse. Yeah, I think it's not too far off. Maybe in a different Spider-verse, it's called Spider-verse. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Well, okay. I don't know if you did it on purpose to me. The directors of directors this week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Five movies and what do we have? I think 37 directors. Yeah. <laughs> Something like it. <laughs> Something like it. Man. What was your commonality this week? Why uh, these films? So uh, instead of covering just the first Spider-Verse, uh, you know, Spider-Verse is such a just a visual feast of animation. I wanted to cover all different animated movies. Uh, so we got one Western animation uh, with Return of the King, one anime Two very different stop motion films, mm-hmm, yeah. um, and finally the new Spider Verse movie, which is just such has such visual variety on its own that I thought I don't know I was thinking let's cover Spider Man movies. I'm kind of sick of this franchise format. I wanted to switch up the format a little bit and cover more on medium basically of animation. I like I like that, and I like how we have a, bl- a lot of different animation. Yeah, in yeah. just these five films here, yeah. so that's pretty cool. And then also I don't, like last week you had ended saying. You love the first uh, Spider-Man Into the Universe, Mm -hmm. but you watched it kind of recently and just weren't about, you know, we'll cover that another day. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll mention it in the review itself, but I I mean, I love that movie. Uh, It's just that, I don't know, I'm franchised out. We got Indiana Jones coming up in the month, you know. Trust me, I know. I I get it. And it really goes off of what we were saying last episode of like, I want to chip away at lists. I don't want to add to lists. Yeah. You know? And I like this. Okay, so let's start right away. Sure. Because this is kind of a continuation of where we had. We watched The Hobbit. We yep. watched The Lord of the Rings animated ones. Yep. Now, this is 1980's The Return of the King by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Now, Jules Bass, Arthur Rankin Jr., if they sound familiar, they're the ones who were known for Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed mm-hmm. Reindeer, that mm-hmm. kind of animation stuff. Now, we did The Hobbit. That was 1977. Mm-hmm. 1978, The Lord of the Rings comes out, which yep. really just covers Fellowship and Two Towers mm-hmm. by Bakshi. Yep. 
the funny thing is they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Because already, once when The Hobbit came out, Arthur Rankin, Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Yep. were already started to create the animated version of <laughs> The Return of the King. I know, I Why know. They, and then... They were just playing nice in the sand in the sand pit, I don't know, uh, in the sandbox. It, uh, <laughs> I know. It all fits very well together. Yeah. And kind of unplanned completely. Uh-huh. So let's get into it. This was meant for TV, but it's still an hour and 38 minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a classic duo doing this. I watched this film. Oh, yes. Excellent. <laughs> I got, that's what I got to do. I just got to find more Lord of the Rings properties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll let you kind of get into it right away because it, it just fascinated with me how these three things came out within three years mm-hmm. and really had nothing to do with each other. It uh, just yeah. worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. They were just, uh, I guess, <laughs> respecting Tolkien's work uh, in, you know, in, in kind of releasing them there but uh yeah tom uh, i mean i might be flirting with a dangerous line with tv movies on this one this has got commercial breaks and everything if you saw it it fade to black it it really felt like it yeah 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 so uh you know i'm looking to avoid uh opening the floodgates on tv content (laughs) so we're gonna be in and out real quick on this one i'm not not touching our apologies to the hallmark channel yeah i'm not touching those those terrible it's uh with uh with tim curry (laughs) Uh, but uh, but yeah, so I thought this was just important to cover because I was just so in love with these different different interpretations, of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, 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 yeah. and it's almost endless fun seeing that in an alternate universe, <laughs> the Jackson trilogy never happened, and these are what we have to work with. I know the Lord they of the exist. Rings. And what's funny is the animation style is different yet again. <laughs> right, right. Like we have diff- three different animation styles. Yeah. It's di- definitely a little bit different than Hobbit as well because of the oh, it's action definitely orange. different. Yeah, yeah it's def- it's totally different. Yeah. And again, it's it's weird. The Tolkien estate was going to sue Rankin and Bass. No way. But, but then things end. Yeah, things ended amicably apparently. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then it just again, it just so happens that where the backsheet Lord of the Rings ends, mm-hmm. you know, kind of at the end of the two towers. Yep, yep. It just so happens that that's where. <laughs> We Reagan and Bass came in with, with Return <laughs> the King kind of picked things right up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's really wild. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's basically our third trilogy here, uh, or the third of the trilogy. Folks, in case you haven't listened to the scattered coverage on the series, once again, you know, Hobbit 77, done by Rankin and Bass, uh, that director duo here. Oh, uh, it was done by Rankin and Bass? Uh, the Hobbit, yeah. That's right. Yep. Okay. I was thinking that we had three different... Okay, okay, gotcha. No, no, I see. yeah. Uh, and, and, well, I mean, I, I can't blame you for style because... That first Hobbit is so in line with their music-driven type of children's film, where there's music in this one, but it's much more about telling the story of Return of the King. Yeah, there's know? a lot of music, though. Yeah. But even, like, well, you remember how, like, <laughs> ugly the dwarves were? Right. This was much more pleasing-looking, yeah. Pleasing yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which also, if you're ranking the best, what are you, are you going from the Hobbit to the Return of the King? I, like, uh, what is this? What I is know. going on? I know. Uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, done by the famous Rout Bakshi and, and covered up until that Two Towers point, utilizing the many degrees of rotoscoping. Honestly, I was fine leaving that rotoscoping behind. It was interesting, Got a good score, uh, or at least a decent score, but here now, two years later, we are back with Rankin and Bass to finish out the story. Despite them not having any animation of the previous film, there is a hardcore recap as well in the right in the beginning of the film to basically get, catch up, and it's just reusing Hobbit footage to it. So I think it's honestly hard to tell if this story makes any sense for a first-time viewing, uh, potentially mm. just seeing this one on TV. Right, right. You know, a lot more is covered than either of the two previous films, yet I have a feeling someone might be pretty lost just jumping into this rendition despite that kind of recap of 
Bilbo and the ring and Gollum and you know all all the all the old chestnuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, nonetheless, there is that big recap in the story and strategically uses footage from Hobbit 1977 to piece it all together. So. I, I don't know. I, not that it, it's it's maybe useful to talk about someone that knows nothing about the Lord of the Rings, but, you know, like, why would you jump into this versus the, <laughs> the Jackson trilogy? I know. But I don't know. I, I just felt like, in addition to the switch up in, in director continuity, like, does this really make sense on its own? I don't know. What, any, any thoughts with that? No, I didn't think it made sense. 20 minutes in, I'm, okay. <laughs> it takes way too long to get to our, kind of our title sequence. Yep. And it's just, I, it's just <laughs> meandering is what I was, came to mind. <laughs> 20 minutes in, I'm just like, when are we going to get going here? It's yeah. an hour and 30. Like, get, get on target, please. <laughs> I mean, it's just the music. I, uh, <laughs> you didn't like it. It's just the whole. Photo of the Nine Fingers? It was. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> a bumping track. <laughs> I'll tell you what, some of the music reminded me of like mid. 1960s westerns travel or compilation song oh sure you know sure. what i mean or something like tarantino would even yep, use yeah it kind of reminded me of that lighthearted, easygoing, folky yeah. right totally folky yeah. my problem was my meandering comment is isn't poignant enough it doesn't catch you mm. up in a good way sure and then when it's we, not really exciting either right and then we, when we get to sam he can't even stay on track because then he's going into dreams or thoughts and then we have to go into his thoughts mm. and what he's seeing in his head that's a very good point and then we have more music yep it was meandering, and I, I don't think it's. <laughs> I was almost confused, <laughs> and I know the story. That's a very, problem, and I know the story very well. It's a problem. <laughs> That's so good. Well, just for some folks at home, I mean, a brief summary here in Return of the King, we are seeing Frodo and Sam approaching the lands of Mordor and the fires of Mount Doom. Sauron's forces of either evil gathered together at Minas Tirith the last bastion of man in a battle that will determine the fate of Middle Earth. And that's basically how the movie is set up. There are some flashbacks to it to basically kind of recap some things uh, in, in using that Hobbit footage, but it basically really lines up with what we know uh, in the Jackson trilogy, right. Return of the King to be. So I would say the most notable feature to come back for Ranking and Bass are, of course, these musical numbers that we're talking about. We get the return of that late 70s folky songs we saw from The Hobbit performed by Glenn Yarborough. I called him the the Jim Croce uh, type of songs previously, <laughs> but uh, Glenn's, Glenn's doing a decent job. Um, he actually does most of the singing, which creates a little bit more of a through line for the sound of the Hobbits. I think the Hobbits have this, you know, this traveling kind of wanderlust uh, aspect to it. We get a funky orc marching song. Uh, <laughs> which yes, we was... <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. I feel I'm gonna be uh, hot, hotter on this film than you are. <laughs> it's, it's just, it was just a little weird. That's all. And yeah. the, the folky songs, I was even like, hey, you know, okay, all right, just dancing <laughs> along a little bit. All right, I'm okay with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just very different tones were taken multiple yeah, times. Yeah. And again, we're jumping around a little bit. I just feel like we couldn't stay focused. Mm. That's all. I just couldn't stay focused on it. Sure. The sure. music didn't help with that, even though the individual songs were like. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Added to the Lord of the Rings weird songs, like yeah. Leonard Nimoy stuff. Like, okay. Right, right. It is totally Leonard Nimoy yeah, stuff. I'm in. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But, you know, overall, I don't know. <laughs> And that's that kind of schoolhouse rock that comes off of this type of animation, mm. Western mm-hmm. animation. So um, they only, they, they thought, you know, it's got to be for kids. It's got to have a song in it. You know? <laughs> so. 
but most of the lyrics to the music is what I kind of had a slight problem with. They are unusually simplistic, uh, even compared to the previous songs in The Hobbit. Very simplistic, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see their return. I think maybe the middle ground between our two viewpoints is that it's maybe a little out of place outside of The Hobbit, more of a children's spin to it. Now that we have these serious, the, the gravitas of Return mm-hmm, of the King, mm-hmm. maybe it, it, it shows it's like a red thumb more, a little bit more. Okay, good so, point. Voice acting is funny and bad sometimes, um, but in other cases, I, I thought it was legitimately good. Um, uh, Lord, uh, Lord Debithor? Right? That's uh, the guy in... Denethor, yeah. Denethor. Uh, Lord Denethor, uh, voiced by Will Conrad, and Gandalf's narration, voiced once again by John Huston, were uh, honestly pretty great. I liked uh, Gandalf's narration a lot in this. Also, Gandalf's tone that he's far less heroic in, than, than the Jackson trilogy in this one. He's kind of beaten down. Um, I, just, I, I just enjoyed that kind of depiction, that it takes him a little bit to be shown the hope uh, through, you know, Frodo mm. and Sam, Sure, basically. okay. I have to say, though, I, I love the new additions to the story, specifically what is not in the Jackson finale. Uh, Sam, that sequence, though, I'm 100% with you, kind of is jarring uh, so early on. I like that sequence of his temptation, uh, you know, connected to the ring. We have kind of a fantasy of Sam uh, and what he can do with the ring and and what that what the ring maybe does to other people that are not strong enough to to carry it. And again, that Gandalf having that different feel, less heroic, and I think it just builds tension and and gravity to Frodo's journey to see that someone as almost godly as Gandalf is is beaten down. How could Frodo possibly make it to Mount Doom? I think those are mm-hmm. subtle mm-hmm. nuances there. My enjoyment of these films is simple. Like I said, I love seeing different interpretations. I love that I, the Eye of Sauron is this traveling energy force that attract that is attracted to fear instead of this like actual tower. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that might be how it is in the books, or or, or at least a tower is not described specifically in the books. Oh, it was my understanding that the tower was described. Oh, okay. and even in the movie, it's kind of like he's just positioned up in the sky. Mm. I can almost assume that there's something attached sure, to sure. him. Yeah, that's my that's my. <laughs> he's, he's still you're still for the Drag Jackson trilogy. These yeah. are these aren't dethroning. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely for sure. Yeah, <laughs> the Witch King was kind of some of that bad voice acting. He sounds like Skeletor from He Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I kind of like that he's this this cool headless knight. Just little style things. What I was surprised is no no Gimli and uh, Legolas anywhere to be seen. Yeah, barely any Aragorn, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my biggest my biggest problem was how focused we were on Sam and Frodo. Where mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, it's cool. We get to, you know, we're spending more time inside Mordor. What's going on with Sam and Frodo? But I can't help that that story was meandering. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, taking too long there, we're getting a, a very, very little from our other storylines. Yeah, we don't really get a whole lot of um, of Pippin and Gandalf. They're sure. there, sure, sure but. Mm-hmm. It's little Pippin has, you know, speaks three, you know, three words mm-hmm. in a sentence here or there. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, Gimli, Legolas, absent, and we barely, I, in my opinion, we barely get an Aragorn, really. So, yeah. You know, that's that's my issue with that was the pacing was not evenly divided. Mm-hmm. I understand they weren't trying to make it evenly divided. Sure. But if you're going to spend that much time on Sam and Frodo, I, I don't know. I wish it wasn't so unfocused at times. That's mm. all. 
And I think that unfocusedness to it also kind of failing in a lot of the really big moments that I wanted out of it. I think this is where this kind of lands. Not bad, but definitely my least favorite out of the three that we've covered. Hobbit and then, you know, yeah. the, the combo uh, picture and Lord of the Rings. I should have went back. I should have really just watched The Hobbit. I just saw bits and pieces of it, mm. unfortunately. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, yeah, I, I think I would probably agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. This one, I don't know. It, it's, you know, I, we came away from The Lord of the Rings and mm. I had felt so excited because it's like, oh my gosh, I would love to show my kid this mm. when he's pre-Peter Jackson age, yeah. but can handle something like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had the feeling so much on this because really? I felt like kids would have got lost a little bit, wow. kind of. And, uh, Money's the waters. Yeah. Mm. I And I didn't, I didn't, I don't like Gollum's look. No, I don't I, either. I, I don't, I don't like how the witch king looks, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. I think he looks okay. like an idiot. He sounds like an idiot. <laughs> I really don't really like bad. that. Don't like the way the orcs look. Yep. You know, some, I was so impressed with almost how much the Lord of the Rings hits mm. that Bashki film, yep. how much it hits of the books and the through lines between that and Jackson, everything mm-hmm. like that. With this one, it really is its own little product. You're going to have people that are the same, names are the same. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's all fine. Some story beats that are the same. Mm-hmm. I think for an hour and 38 minutes, we just did not get enough. Yeah. Uh, personally. Right. And it's short already. Ma- there's mm. just some, yeah. I, I just can't get off the fact that it's just the music, the meanderingness, <laughs> the fact of the fact that stylistically, animation-wise, like, Sam didn't look gross. Sure. You know what I mean? He yeah, looked that's, okay. That's so an improvement. Characters overall looked okay. Yeah. As far as some of our main characters. Yeah. And then uh, there's so much flashing on the screen. It's like, <laughs> oddly, the ring pulsates and flashes yep. way too much. Yep. Sting just flashes <laughs> way too that much. same sound effect. Sauron with the eye. Yeah, oh my gosh, that noise Ding. was getting to me with, with how, well, Sting making a noise. and doesn't just like, <laughs> doesn't just glow blue. And, yeah, yeah. Little things like that. It was just taking away from it and definitely its own product. I don't think necessarily for the better. Sure, sure. And I think overall, I, I prefer the rotoscoping we saw in the previous film, though it's it's ugly in parts, and, and even, even in saying that, I'm kind of on the knife's edge a little bit, but the picking up the story here leaves a kind of awkward recommendation on its own, um, especially for any youth demographic it was intended for uh, two years later after these films, mm-hmm. you know? How are you supposed to track these down on TV, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the day? Uh, so <laughs> I'm really happy I watched all these movies, though, and seeing how weird and different they are in a lot of ways like I said I think this is the weakest of the three honestly if if you are a Lord of the Rings fan and you haven't watched these uh, I think it's a it's an above average recommendation just to dive into them to experience uh, some some variation would you agree with that (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's the pause yeah that sounds that sounds good what you said We're going to tell me two shoes for this? Yes, we are. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, We will go ahead and give Return of the King 1980 a 62. Wow. You were very fair to these films. (laughs) Very fair to these films. I think think it's still a dynamite story uh, in the backbone of of The Lord of the Rings. You are a Tolkien fan. I guess so. You've ruined me. (laughs) 
a lot of the animation I liked. Some of the characters I absolutely hated. Okay. Like, like we just discussed yeah, and everything yeah. like that. I just didn't think it was on point enough. I didn't think we... I mean, the fact that we had absence of characters. Yep. And some of these big moments, these big Minas Tirith moments and things yeah. like that. Very lackluster. Barely spent time with any of that. Pippin unutilized. Denethor unutilized, in my opinion. Gandalf unutilized. He was more efficient. He's more effective with the voice over yeah. than actually what we'd see physically. His character. Exactly. In the story. I, I don't think I have much more to say to that. We just put too long in Mordor, which mm. kind of sounds cool. Sure. Not the way they did it. Yeah, and uh, not with the the funny-looking orcs. Right. You know? uh, the if they fu- were badass in some sort of way, you know. The funny, the, yeah, breaking out in song then is the most ridiculous <laughs> song. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, so yep. there were things I putting a smile on my face. I'm not saying it was all awful. Sure. It just it wasn't getting me excited. I didn't walk away from this being like, I cannot wait to show my uh, my my kid, this uh, like you were with the with the Rankin and Bass one, right? Exactly. Oh, I'm right. sorry, or the the, uh, the, the, the Bashy one, the Bashy one. That's mm-hmm. correct. So overall, yeah, this gets one Hobbit foot, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one big old hairy Hobbit foot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, enjoyed it in some ways, just disliked it in too many. Hey, I think. I feel you. I feel you. I'm glad I'm uh, in the rare occurrence more positive on a uh, <laughs> on a Lord of the Rings movie. Uh, it, than, I tell you, I, than Thomas Wrecker. <laughs> I mean, that, that's I'm, surprising. I've come a long way. <laughs> I think you even like Lord of the Rings. Do you remember what you gave The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings then? I know. I think Hobbit was 64. <clears throat> I think The Lord of the Rings was 65. Is that right? I think that, Okay, that yeah, sounds yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And 60, 62 for The Return of the King. Okay. Yeah. I think I gave two shoes to The uh, mm. to the Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. I think. <laughs> no, no Hobbit feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we're further increasing the uh, what uh, the Tommy Two Shoes well, can be. Little icons eventually on the website, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, we need to have a whole key, a uh, scoring yeah. key next to it. <laughs> okay, let's get to the one that almost really tripped me up here in the intro. <laughs> here, Inter- you did phenomenal. Though. Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed researching this film and kind sure. of how it came to be. Let's kind of jump into it right away. This is 2003. It's not rated. It's an hour and eight minutes. And there's a reason why it's not rated and kind of why this yep. came to be. So, yep. Vin, let's get into it right away. Yeah, Interstellar 5555. Uh, super excited about this one because I, I haven't talked about a huge amount of films that were influential movies on my life. But this one is definitely one of them and, and, and close to my heart. This is an hour-long animated movie that tells a story in sync with Daft Punk's album from 2001, Discovery. Folks, for those of you not into Daft Punk, Discovery is an absolute dynamite album and largely considered to be a masterpiece among house music. So songs like One More Time, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, these are massive hits that make this such a great watch and have a backbone to it. Uh, But Interstellar makes a slot in this week's watch list for the fun sci-fi that is conveyed through these songs and some serious anime talent. These these directors are are no joke on this project and might be the best way to dip your toe into their styles without dipping your toe into the massive series that they're a part of. So That's what I want to ask, too. These mm-hmm. three directors that take on a role like this yeah. and do something like that, bunk-related, because like you said, it is it, everyone knows this album in some sort of way. Sure. Where, where do these three directors come from? They have a rich history and everything like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two in particular, I mean, uh, when it comes down to all three directors, they're all talented in some way. There's also a fourth assistant on there as well, but the two <laughs> I want to focus on specifically is, is why I 
think this watch is is worth your time. Um, Daisuke Nishio is an absolute legend, directing nearly everything Dragon Ball Z. I'm talking 199 plus episodes. Oh, he's the guy. Yeah, he's not the creator of Dragon Ball, but he is the he is the director for the Dragon Ball Z show. Wow. Okay. This also includes the many many spinoff movies that would have populated your classic Toonami TV block as well. That we probably you know people in our generation would cross paths. Right. With. Yeah. Then Leji Matsumoto, uh, who sadly died in February of this last year, um, he comes off the classic 70s space battleship Yamato and lends his sleek character design here. You know, this may be a 2003 anime, but the combination of these art styles represents exactly the 90s golden age look to anime. Not only that, I think... Interstellar 5555 <laughs> is a great quick way to experience the style of these two, you know, two of the most influential godfathers of anime, mm. especially modern anime, uh, without having to put a ring on these massive series. You get a quick dive in, you get a fun movie with, with the Daft Punk score. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I've always loved this movie to death. Okay, I love that's I, everything about it. Like I said, doing the research about it, I really loved it. Yeah. I really liked how this just came to be a yeah, thing. Absolutely, I, I definitely known in the past about Daisuke Nishio. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why it, it just doesn't get any bells in the beginning. Yeah, it's not a it's not a a name that I feel like uh, gets gets thrown out there a lot. Right, and um, probably should more. Yeah, honestly, absolutely. But um, and like you said, it's a quick hour and eight minutes, mm-hmm. and it seems very electric for <laughs> a couple of ways, but. <laughs> yeah. The content of it, what are we kind of getting into? Yeah, so, I mean, is this a huge album-long music video? Yeah, kind of. But you would be surprised at the narrative that plays out without any dialogue. It's genuinely a decent sci-fi. It's super unique because they made this whole anime to be a companion piece to the album. And once again, I just I just kind of fell in love with it. We follow a intergalactic rock band from space that makes bangers that the whole galaxy loves. Um, and basically... When an evil record label from Earth finds this music, he kidnaps the band to bring them back to Earth and profit off of their infectious tunes. Brainwashed and sedated, they quickly become the most popular band on the planet, and that leaves the fifth uncaptured member to break the band free from outer space. It's got cool action. It's got uh, this 70s Bowie style, like rock star from outer space type of feel to it. Uh, it's got it's electric. I love amazing I mean, Daft Punk music yeah. behind it. It's just it's so great. Did you say almost no dialogue? Uh, no dialogue. No. Wow. Dialogue. Really? Yeah. And it just hits. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, and it's all visual storytelling. Uh, if I had to be critical, does every Daft Punk song you know fit perfectly with it? Maybe not. But that's basically the creative prompt that they're using to then create this movie off of it. You know, how that styles the story, how these songs, you know, create pacing within this hour-long story is it's just, it's so awesome. Like you said, it's only an hour long, so I won't say much more than that about the story, but there really is a fun story that plays out and, and gets a little crazy in the, only, in, in the way an only anime can, basically, so, but uh, I, I just, I just love that. That Bowie 70s feel, you know, the rock stars from outer space. I just think it's, it's cool. It's <laughs> yeah. cool. 
I will say my experience with this movie is more personal than most. Um, so my copy of Daft Punk Discovery that I had growing up was ripped off of like Bear Share or LimeWire or some, you know, probably right, right. bricked my computer <laughs> at some point with viruses. Uh, and the many CDs that I burnt off of it would always have like tire screeching or movie sound effects in the track. And I put up with this for years. <laughs> Just BS added sound effects, huh? Yeah. Specifically, there's always a tire screech in Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. And it's like, why is there a tire screech in there? Turns out, years later, when I'm researching these anime films, uh, and I come across Interstellar. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, my rip is from the audio track. That, of the that's film. awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that's kind of the, the special connection I, ha I have with, uh, with the movie. But nostalgia goggles aside, I really do think, again, for the director talent here, for how bite-size it is and how much fun uh, this hour-long is, it's, it's, it's a solid recommendation from me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a solid watch for many different audiences, a great background watch at parties. A great, uh, you know, kind of quick, quick one shot of these Godfathers of anime, and most of all, it is a it fulfills on its uh, on its objective of being a great companion piece to a legendary Daft Punk album. We're gonna go ahead and give Interstellar five 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 from two thousand three a seventy on the dot. Seventy, great score and a great little nugget. I mean, it's quick. If some anybody wants to go check it out, yeah, because yeah. it is an hour and eight, mm -hmm. and is easy to find relatively. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, usually the license gets tossed around between the anime streaming sites i think it's with h dive right now but, okay uh, but yeah definitely definitely something that doesn't get lost to time oddly enough the license is kept up yeah uh, i think i gotta check it out just because <laughs> i mean that album's great too oh yeah it's 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 so good so very good. cool that that's a thing that's yeah. a thing that, that exists <laughs> yeah it's so unique too uh, uh yeah i absolutely love interstella it. 555 the story of 5555 the story <laughs> of the secret star system with a 70 percent <laughs> that's awesome 20 years old this year too yeah yeah uh okay so let's move on this is 2015 this is anomaly Lisa. This is directed by uh, Duke Johnson, Charlie Kaufman. Mm -hmm. I remember when this first came out because the unique look and style to it. Yeah. Let's jump into what kind of like animation is it, then kind of jump into the story. Sure. It's definitely stop motion animation. I would say the the uh, figures are very doll like. The environments are very dollhouse. Very smooth clay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very smooth clay-ish. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine there is some uh, digital blending to the movement of faces as they're switching out the pieces for the mouths and, and eyes for right. reactions. There seems to be some sort of digital editing to smoothing those transitions through instead of just being raw stop motion. So... It definitely achieves a, a much different look, and and definitely different from what we'll cover in a moment with uh, with Missing Link. Yeah, and a different Leica Studios, right? You know? Animated stop motion, but it's also it's a rated R film. Yeah. I should note right <laughs> oh, off the bat. Actually, boy, is it, yeah. this is not a kids movie. <laughs> This is, uh, I, and that's an odd pairing for the medium of stop motion. I mean, yes, you'll get something like Wes Anderson, Fantastic Mr. Fox, mm -hmm. Isle yeah. of Dogs, still kid base. Pinocchio, Del Toro, Pinocchio, mm, mm. still kid based. This I can't. It's riding a line, but this yeah. is yeah. 
This, this is, is rated, rated R. R. This is like an adult <laughs> drama in stop motion. So it's it's kind of a hard use case. So, but folks, uh, I, I do want to say this is written by the legend Charlie Kaufman, and I would like to confess that Kaufman's writing sometimes intimidates me. Honestly, okay, and we uh, should know this is based on his audio play. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's named at this same thing, Anomaly. Anomalisa, Anomalisa yep. is what the audio play was called, mm-hmm. and he used a pseudonym uh, when he made it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I didn't that's what know it's that. based off of. Yeah, honestly, when it comes down to this, what why this intimidates me is I think the absurdity in his films sometimes really, and I mean, really loses me. Even though the stories he creates are undoubtedly very unique, and probably some of the most unique ideas to come out the years that they come out. Mm. And, um, perfect example being John Malkovich. I think it's a cool movie, just really not my bag. I really don't enjoy that film. You know, I'll enjoy something like Internal Sunshine quite a bit, even to the point that I mention it a lot on the podcast, you know, just as a template. But consider something like his best work, uh, or what is said to be his best work, like Schenectady, New York. I find myself turning away from watching it altogether, honestly. Hmm. So Interesting. I feel like I, I, I want to open up with it because... You know, it's it's something to be upfront about as far as my scope in watching movies. Yeah, and yeah, that's good. Honestly, you know, lay the lay the gauntlet down. Uh, watching more Charlie Kaufman films, maybe I can get hooked on this. Um, Anomalisa is a very good film. Okay, so it was all right. a successful dive. If anything, uh, like the recent Everything Everywhere, these movies all dance on a knife's edge of being a little annoying in its absurdist moments, but undeniably an experience you won't forget. And this R-rated stop-motion, you know, midlife crisis movie is <laughs> is definitely one. I'll never forget it. The director split is between Kaufman and Duke Johnson. Johnson is some talent from the offbeat adult swim show Moral Oral, have you by chance remember? I don't remember else? that. No. Yeah, yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably going to get forgotten to time. But uh, a weird show, a definitely a very adult swim show. And that's and that's honestly an important note to make because the visual style of this film is very particular stop motion. It's not your normal stop motion. This is nothing like we covered previously, or like I said, it, given our next film being like a studios doesn't really play to the modern stop-motion look that uh, studios like Leica right. are, are, are refining and, and, and really making the norm here. So the animation is trying to achieve this realism in everyday, everyday life and to the point that it kind of feels intentionally mundane. It feels intentionally boring. You know, this is about really? a, a guy that's going through a midlife crisis. He's, he's, the life around him is dulled. Huh. Uh, it didn't so. have a beauty to it? Like, it's, it's something about that clay smoothness and it was that realism. It almost seems, I don't know, maybe it feels more mature? Yeah. Oh, it's maybe. definitely more mature. Well, I know. I know. Well, I'm talking about but look-wise. Yes. You know what I mean? I would say the big highlight I'm is lighting, you... actually, okay. in these things. Um, Interesting. There, so... There's a photorealism that is achieved sometimes that uh, I would say it's purely because they're working with you know these, these static sets and yeah. are able to basically make the lighting like they would on a real-life movie set. Mm. It surprised me that mundane kind of comes to your mind. Yeah. Uh, it, maybe it's really just the tone of the film, honestly. Mm-hmm. Anomalisa is about a middle-aged man named Michael Stone, uh, and like a lot of men his age, he has grown bored of uh, the dull life he has that has really no point to everything. Uh, everything kind of feels the same. He sparks up an old flame on a business trip, but nothing is the same as it was. The people in his life all blend into one experience. That allows him to meet Lisa, uh, a fan attending the conference he is speaking at, and grabs his attention.
attention through the white noise of his life. Genre-wise, <laughs> get ready here. This is a stop-motion romance drama and then just very, very much in the space of a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy wrapping around everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a wild one. The film is slightly meta in how it uses stop motion in two primary ways. As it relates to the story, I'm honestly not sure if one of them is taking literally or not. So maybe just kind of be warned of that in, in going into it. The other is absolutely the selling point of the film, though. And it is around the voice acting talent. Oh, okay. Why this film is so interesting to watch is because it only has three voice actors. We have the voice actor for for Lisa, wow. for Michael, and then everyone else. Everyone else is voiced by Thomas Noonan, uh, and it is hysterical. Uh, <laughs> it is an evergreen joke. It just keeps on getting funnier and funnier and funnier <laughs> as he pops up as every every voice around him, and it's just like this this coming normal normal oh voice. he does he's not even like trying to change no, his voice not at all wow he okay. plays women children men like everyone around him and it's <laughs> it's this it's this idea of his life is dulled around him you know so the one i doing a little research on the film uh -huh. it's it's apparently it's supposed to explore fragoli delusion oh. which is a rare disorder in which a person holds a delusional belief that different people are in fact a single person who changes appearance <laughs> or is in disguise there it is right there right there it is right there. And that is explored through the lens of a midlife crisis as well mm -hmm. uh, for, for, for Michael Stone. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, honestly, this, this it was so... Does it wear you down after a while? <laughs> Absolutely. Because <Yeah. laughs> once, once Lisa and Michael are introduced, you're not hearing his voice. And then all of a sudden he pops up like on a, on a phone from the reception or a butler. And, and it's, just, it's always funny. It was so good. I mean, really, it is an evergreen joke just to see him pop up everywhere. Um, the style of this comedy reminded me, definitely more mature, but reminded me of like a Justin Roiland or Seth MacFarlane style comedy where the voice is repeated in multiple characters. And that's kind of the joke in itself sometimes. Mm -hmm. Especially Royland and Rick and Morty, like it's just like his wacky voice everywhere. But the comedic timing is very intentionally awkward. And personally, I just never got sick of the joke. I could see maybe someone not getting the joke <laughs> for right, a good amount of right. the film and just thinking it's a sad movie or something like that. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was really funny. I was I was dying at this. <laughs> I would say my only knock to the film is that Mr. Stone is a rough protagonist to get behind. A lot of creepy old man vibes uh, that. Well, honestly, was grossing me out in a stop motion film. <laughs> so I'll let that speak for itself. But uh, it, it just doesn't create the most enjoyable protagonist to follow. You know, out of all the genres I threw out there, it is a romance first. So I just got to be honest, these dolls are just too aroused. This, <laughs> this, oh, really? This stop motion characters. Just a little, a little too much. horny. They get, they get put in <laughs> horny jail. It's, it's not good. Um, Toy Story XXX. Yeah, for real. You don't know how close it is. You know, in no way do I did I think this was a children's movie. So don't get me wrong. You know, but wow, do they push the limits here? Um, you know, I was thinking a lot in. in after watching this and, and in the note process about Coffin's scripts. And, and maybe I have kind of a, a working theory that having these unlikable protagonists might be why these stories don't click for me sometimes. 
Um, oh, yeah. Okay. And I think here, it, this is a really great movie, and I enjoyed it a lot, but that was a serious blemish that was taking me back and, and creating those feelings that I feel with Kaufman's films. So, But let's, let's dive into that stop motion a little bit more. Uh, the absolute biggest highlight, like I said, is the lighting. Constantly while you're watching, your eye will be tricked into these near photorealistic uh, environments. Hmm. Um, like I said, you know, I think it's, it's key for why it looks so interesting and without a doubt comes from Johnson's directing experience working with you know, on more oral with these you know it's it's a similar kind of stop motion claymation type of vibe mm-hmm. to it felts are are interesting fabrics are interesting we see them so up close it's almost like a macro of these uh, of these textures uh, and the style of stop motion of these doll-like figures lend to doll-like settings so when we get just kind of normal domestic settings like a hotel, the primary setting is a hotel, you know, these familiar places to the audience are once again able to take on a photorealism, and it really is stunning. I would say this is stunning in a way that is independent from my love for, you know, other studios doing stop motion right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. And no less for coming out in 2015. Totally its, its own kind of thing. Yeah. And what's crazy, it, it had an $8 million budget. That's wild. You know? It's yeah, crazy. yeah. But yeah, it, it is a really good watch. It's just a oddball, serious oddball, and a rated R oddball as well. Uh, this film, uh, definitely a weird one, folks. Uh, something you have to be in the right mood for. But if you like Ch- Kaufman's other work, I think you're well prepared for this. Uh, if not, however, I think my rating comes so positively is that this might just be the best jumping up, jumping in point I have come across for the director and the writer. We're going to go ahead and give Anomalisa to. 2015 and 80 on the dot. Wow, 80% Finn. Yep, yep. It is. Wow, you really liked it. I, I mean, and, and almost there's things drawing me away from it that I didn't like That's to me. it. Wow, jeez. Uh, but I, I think it's just far too unique, far too beautiful. Uh, and, and paced well? I mean, it's yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I can't it's, imagine there's too much fat to trim. That was that was a, a love of this week, is just short movies. <laughs> yeah, it was, you had a good week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 80%, very, very good score. Yep. Wow. A little bit of a sleeper hit there, For and maybe sure. it'd be cool to check out some of the rest of Charlie Kaufman's stuff. Yeah, and I, see what if you can. You know, we always like to find what what's the DNA in a director. Yes. What, what are the through lines, the connective mm-hmm. tissue, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, kind of be maybe interested in going through. Yeah, and if anything, that kind of intimidation factor, uh, I guess, where that creates you know, like a fight or flight with me, right. is that I I understand he's a very good writer. I understand these works are are you know, uh, well-made and, and, and deserve it of praise. They just don't hit for me, so... And that's just uh, how that is. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe some will really hit and some won't. I mean, yeah. if he's that kind of unique of a guy, yeah. you know, you might end up really liking some like an 80, yeah. and then just like lukewarm on some No others. two are the same, for sure. Yeah, so. definitely would be interested in hearing from more people yeah. about their feelings on him. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, okay, Anomalies with an 80%. Really, really good, Vin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was 2015. This is now 2019. Uh, this is called Missing Link. Again, stop motion, totally different style. Yep. From Leica Studios. This is directed by Chris Butler. Boy, uh, $100 million budget for this one. <laughs> Box office flop. Yeah. And, um, you know, Leica has had some hits big time. So let's kind of get into Missing Link. What is it and how'd you like it? Sure. So Missing Link is um, uh, fully stop motion. And I think that's important to note because these later films from Leica Studios, they really blur the line to say, wait, is this just animated? Is this mm. really? 
really stop motion. Mm-hmm. And you know, trust me, it is all stop motion. They are they are a very very talented studio. So as Tom and I uh, and and a few producers maybe know, we have a a special in the holster for a while. Uh, and one of the creative teams that has been featured in the special is like a studio. And I really would consider them the kings of modern stop stop motion animation. I mean, they are a phenomenal phenomenal team. Missing Link is their latest film, and one I haven't seen, and was pretty high on my list, uh, name that was scrolling past constantly, so in that type of theme I've had, at least in the last week or so, and plan to continue with, it is yet another animation style for this episode, and yet another movie to chop off the list. Yeah, I definitely. Need to, I need to work through it. No, but so. th- yeah, and this was really a good one. Like you said, I, I can only imagine you've been wanting to see this one. I yeah. know your feelings on Laika. Th- and again, this was like, where did this movie go? I'm, that's, I'm excited right? to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a flop. I know. And, and this is big, pre-COVID. I mean. Big names in this film. Yeah. Big names. And it yeah. is just before pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah. 2019. So they don't really have any excuse there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Chris Butler is the writer, designer, and director heading this up. Uh, the only other film he has is like his own Paranorman from 2012. And honestly, just a quick note on this. And just how I feel like it's important to watch writer-director talent in live action for children's movies, I think the third act there is that if they're designing the the characters, mm-hmm. if there's some sort of artistry there as well, I think that is just as important to cover for animated and kid movies, you know, because that is what's kind of shaping the new IPs and whatnot. Yeah, so. no, I agree with that. In Missing Link, we follow, uh, we follow Sir Lionel Frost, played by Hugh Jackman, uh, one of the many big actors. Uh, Lionel Frost is an anthropologist adventurer and a hunter of legendary creatures all around the world. He comes across a lead on Bigfoot, uh, the missing link in human evolution, and sets out to find this creature. Uh, This happens just to be Zach Galifianakis as Mr. Link, (laughs) Uh, a fully sentient, speaking North American Sasquatch that speaks to him and is really looking for others like him. Uh, That pushes them to follow a lead in search for more creatures, Brings in an old flame for Lionel, played by Zoe Saldana, and the three embark on an adventure to find the missing link in Mr. Link's life family. It, it's a cute setup. We get a lot of variety in settings. Uh, this kind of a age of adventure, if you will. We get Western settings. We get South American or Mexico settings. We get British. Uh, it's just it's just fun. It feels like a good adventure film for that reason. Also, a special shout out for you, Tom, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, my boy. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't sweating. I was, you see, you I, knew I was gonna get to Tim. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant plays a great cowboy bounty hunter named, wait for it, Willard Stank, <laughs> which is like fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I loved it. And, and, and includes some of the Western vibes of this. We really get all everywhere that the, the late 1800s can be. So uh, the only real critique I have here is actually for Galifianakis. Uh, I just found the performance here to be really lackluster and a bit annoying, a bit boring. Uh, it, it just hmm. really wasn't a good role for him. Yeah, honestly. and it's the lead role. Yeah, just about. <laughs> it's, so it's it's Bigfoot in the Bigfoot <laughs> movie. So uh, Mr. Link takes everything literally. So there is a lot of repeat jokes around this, and I just found myself wishing there was a different and funnier delivery almost on mm-hmm. every time it was. Okay, you know, sure. Was, I got no problem with the joke itself. It's a kids' movie. You know, he tells him, you know, break a leg. That's not one of them, but, you know, he would break his actual leg. Right. Uh, He doesn't have a grasp on that. 
that's a fine joke to run throughout the film. It's just Galifianakis's delivery was just not there. Um, it just I don't know. Hmm. Personally, I also feel like the setting and the style of this. I I liked it a lot, but I think it might be a bit boring for the intended kid demographic. If we were to you know, autopsy what happened in the box office, basically. Yeah, it was a bad bomb. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of intelligent writing and, and subtle humor, especially between these kind of enlightened adventurer types. Something about this gives me the feeling that it wouldn't really grab the intended audience, despite the visual fidelity uh, and the prestige of Leica, what they're able to do in the production. I just don't think it's enough because kids are going to be tied to characters and the comedy coming out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, that's good to hear that it's not like this was lacking in that that great Leica like mm-hmm. what they're willing, what they're able to do via visually. Right. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. I'm glad that that was on par. Mm-hmm. But man, yeah, the characters aren't there, man. The characters yeah. aren't there. Uh, the kids mean, are not going to put <laughs> up with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it looks very good, uh, but I just don't think it's there. And, and again, I like the story. I like the setting. I think it's heartwarming. I just feel like I just could not shake the entire time. And, and maybe even compounding with Galifianakis's, uh lackluster delivery that uh, it's just not – there's not going to be – that one funny character that a kid is going to be busting up uh, about right, and waiting right. to see again on screen. You know? Right. I mean, the other lead here basically is Hugh Jackman. Right. But he's kind of playing... This, uh, yeah. Uh, not not straight man, but yeah, he's 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 kind of an arrogant adventurer type. Right, he's yeah. not meant to <clears throat> deliver the comedy. That's on. That's, that's what they hired Zach for. <laughs> and he's, he's not, you know, right, he's right. not doing it. Uh, like usual, though, the stop motion work from the studio cannot be beat. Um, the use of water, particularly, and how it looks, how good it looks, is impressive. Um, there are a lot of boat sequences that they're traveling to different places, and the massive waves shown at sea, misting off the head of the ships. Uh, I mean, it is amazing stop motion. Mm. Uh, the the sheer amount of coordination needed for that. Um, to to have it look as good as it as it does, and have it be as dynamic and alive on the screen is really amazing. Even beyond having an appreciation for what goes into animating this, I really do think it looks fantastic. The setting globe trots all around the world, so we get to see not only wonderful variety, but a consistently gorgeous environments crafted uh, in stop motion. We get a large amount of western settings in this, so iconic scenes like a bar brawl or shootout were perfect example of where the quality shows itself the fact that these scenes are able to feel identical to their live action counterparts shows just how wonderful uh the work these animal animators are putting into every frame the fact that a a a saloon bar fight feels in rhythm in fight in choreography as weird as that is to say like a live action western bar fight i mean they got it down. That's why I mean like the, that they're the kings. They have it down. They're able to just create movies now regardless of the medium of stop motion. You know what I mean? I mean, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, def- I definitely – I completely share that with you with them. You know, they've got a definitely a – I wouldn't say a bad rap. There's been mm. – you know, just with their staff and everything like yeah, that and, yep. some, and, and past productions. Yeah. But it, they are crushing it. Yeah. The amount of work that goes into it, mm-hmm. it it's it, – there's a reason why it's not all over the place. Yeah. Detail 
and right. attention like this. No one know? wants to do it, right? Basically. right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe their workers don't even want to do it either, <laughs> or at least the, the volume of hours, you know. I mean, my sincere hope, this is 2009, it's now been four years, my sincere hope is that they, they clearly have something in the pipeline. Uh, we don't know what. I just hope that Leica really stays around as long as possible mm-hmm. uh, because I really do just love their studio. I would say this movie might not be the strongest compared to other work from the studio, but it's still a wonderful time and shows how fresh and vibrant the stories that they tackle can be. We're going to go ahead and give Missing Link from 2019 a 73. Okay, 73. It's okay, that's not bad. Yeah. Because, again, seeing how this performed, seeing just the lack, it's just... It, I don't know if people even remember this. Sure. It was only four years ago. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. That's why I was on that list. Big just studio, kind of languishing. Big animation. Yeah. I know. $100 million budget. Huge actors. Mm-hmm. And it just came and went. I mean, really came and went. So that's good to see. 73% lackluster in a couple areas. But yeah. it's not like his fault. That's for sure. No. And even the story sounds great. Sure. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, has hard. If anything, the story just reminds me of how maybe like an offbeat uh, or a supplemental kind of Disney movie would come out. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I was getting kind of Emperor's New Groove vibe. Oh, here. interesting. Kind of, yeah, that's a bad comparison. But. <laughs> I would like to go back almost and see what else was coming out around this time. Sure. Did something come in and just it just, just take its flame away as mm, well? There's that. always that, too. Yeah. But wow, 73% for Missing Link. Really, really, okay, that's yeah. not bad. Well, we got a good week here. Yeah. We got a good week. <laughs> no, absolutely. And of course, can't forget about the 62% on the, on the Return of the King. <laughs> but hey, folks, don't forget, we are going off the value for value model here. That means, you know, are you finding. The podcast, the newsletter, and the website, are you finding it valuable? You know, is it making you laugh? Are you just enjoying listening? Are you actually kind of curtailing your movie-watching guide? Mm. Are you into movies more than what you were a year ago? And that's value to you. Can you send us some value back? So how you do that is you go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and you send some monetary support our way. In doing that, you become an official producer of the Daily Ratings. Along with sending in money, you can go ahead and write in a note to us, and we're going to read it here right on the podcast all the producers who take time to send us some money to write something we're going to go ahead and pay attention to that whether mm-hmm. it be questions comments critiques whether it's love or hate it doesn't matter uh, we appreciate every single one of you help produce the daily ratings uh, if you wanted to sign up for the newsletter you head down to the bottom of any page of the website you go ahead and put your name in your email uh, you just have to confirm that on your end and then you're good to go yeah that comes out every tuesday morning we really appreciate it vin and i we want to do a lot of good things here we want to keep this going for a long time so we're early in our days. We always say another way to produce is just tell somebody about it. Sure. We know we can see the numbers growing a little bit more and more slowly and slowly. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And we love it. We see you in France. We see you in Australia. <laughs> so, as, as you know, get us going. We're worldwide now. It's we're very worldwide. exciting. worldwide. Jet set. <laughs> Uh, but that's what it's all about. If you're finding anything we do here valuable, if you can, send us back some value. So dailyratings.com, head to the donations tab, become a producer today. Thank you all so much. Mm-hmm. All right, Vin, with that, we are in our newly released, our in-theaters now film. This is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, much anticipated, mm. especially after the first one. Some people say it's one of the best Spider-Man films ever made. Sure. Of all Spider-Man films. Sure. Let's get into it. How did you like it? Well, folks, uh, the first Spider-Verse is a tremendous film uh, and still one of the best-looking animated projects you could spend your time watching. We gave the first movie a whopping 82, uh, and without a doubt, my favorite Spider-Man film and, and one of the best superhero movies ever made, honestly. Uh, as uh, hyperbolic as that sounds. No. 
not at all. Not at all. Uh, but it really is by the scores up there for what we what we rank uh, a lot of superhero stuff for. But superhero movies just don't make that cut. It's it's one that I've seen many times and didn't feel like I need a refresher. Plus, like I said, I'm kind of worn out on the franchise homework. I gotta. I'm <laughs> out the wicks. The wicks coming down. It's, That's fine. It's on. Hey, it's on the website. You know, yeah, it is exactly. on the site. Exactly. And I really do know the movie like the back of my hand. Probably seen first Spider Verse four plus times. Yeah. It's, okay. It's amazing. Uh, Spider Verse was also one of the first to do multiverse writing tropes in film. And honestly, still might be one of the best to do it uh, with how much fun it has with varying art styles and the variety of Spider-Man characters from comic book history and lore. I'll I'll state it later, but that first Spider-Verse honestly absolutely shits on anything else multiverse themed so far in other superhero movies as you know it's awesome. freaking awesome yeah, that's if, awesome if only you know the 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 sights on doctor strange 2 multiverse madness being in the name uh, boy is that a pales in comparison boy is that a letdown in comparison to right. the first spider yeah. movie and this one as well big time uh, so they they have a lot of fun with it there's some big shoes for this movie to fill. And while I had faith that Sony Animations would kill it, I did not know about everything else, basically. Uh, folks, I'm going to have to come right out and say it. While there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of buzz around this film, this, in my personal opinion, not better than the first one. I'm going to say that one-third of this movie is absolutely incredible, without a doubt better than the original. And most of this relates to concepts and animation itself. And while the remaining two-third is still very good, it is plagued with some just some bad pacing and fluff. Uh, this issue is directly connected to something that I need to call out right away. This film is part one of two. Uh, we uh. get, <laughs> in the same month practically, <laughs> another cliffhanger ending on this film. And I just, I feel like it, it hobbles it a little bit. Mm. I mean, this film is wonderful, uh, fantastic. Go see it. But... I just I'm not a fan of these cliffhanger endings. No, and no. the problem is, I mean, the new movie's already slated mm-hmm. for 2025, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, the third one. Yep. So it is tough. It is it is a weird middle child for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, we've been seeing this a lot more recently. The same bullshit was in the most recent Fast Ten, and I, I just flat out think it's a horrible trend. Uh, when it's done right, you can get two complete stories that work on their own, but seeing it now um it's just i i see the extra content added all over the story to get the longer runtime with no real reason mm. while the same runtime couldn't be used to tell an amazing jam packed story uh, apples to apples i thought this movie was amazing folks uh, nothing like fast 10 thank god <laughs> so, <laughs> forgive me for the for even even hinting at a uh, comparison of those two films uh, but uh, it is cut short on its potential especially with our villains. Uh, I'll get into a little bit of that, but in Across the Spider-Verse, Miles Morales is struggling to make his own path in a multiverse of paths already taken by every Spider-Man. He's just getting settled into being the Spider-Man of his own reality when life seems to be changing rapidly around him. And, And honestly, like every teenager, he questions his place in the world while simultaneously questioning in his place as Spider-Man as well. Uh, the story also has a big focus on the fan favorite, Spider-Gwen, played by the charming Haley Steinfeld. She makes up a big part of this plot. Honestly, I would say it's kind of 
a little split 50-50. So uh, if you like that character from the first one, fantastic. Good news. And there's a lot of love of Spider-Gwen online, uh, especially with uh, with comic book fans. How are your feelings? Is it about kind of getting a bigger female lead in there almost? Uh, possibly. Okay. That could be the case. Uh, I think Steinfeld has a lot of acting chops and kind of outdoes, even in voice acting, uh, Miles Morales' voice I'm a actor. huge fan of her. Yeah. Because we get said we we've talked about it before how we just don't have a lot of up and coming actors yep, yep. you know who's kind of under thirty she's one of them I like her I like the, the other kid who was in Ender's Game oh, and also Boy sure. with the Traveling Pants yeah Asa wow. interesting something. callback yeah <laughs> Ender's course, Game might now be on a future episode <laughs> and also who's in Ender's Game is Haley Steinfeld oh that's right don't love her from that it's True Grit really right. where she yeah, shines absolutely but uh, kind of people don't talk about her that much and I kind of like that I feel yeah. like she might be a healthy child star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not God bless scarred her. by the industry. Right. Yeah. But anyway, you liked her. You don't mind a larger presence of her character on screen. No, I think it's a cool character. Uh, it's more real estate for storytelling. Uh, and even in my ideal recut of this, making it one movie, yeah. her portions would still stay. Okay, so. gotcha. Uh, she makes up uh, a big part and and introduces us to this universal breaking anomalies that ripple off of the last film, as well as a secret society of other Spider-Men uh, that keep the multiverse shenanigans in check. And that's kind of our, she kind of gets a, for lack of a better comparison, kind of a men in black kind of plot hmm. uh, that she's introduced to a new society altogether and, and, and you know, an, an order, basically. I have to say off the bat, the writing here is a bit more cringy, but it's also in a movie that's made of exclusively joke-slinging webheads, so it gets a little bit of a pass. As you can see from the trailer, we are introduced to near-countless Spider-Man variants in the film, uh, and a lot more than just the handful of comedic voices in the last film, so the writing is a little bit all over the place sometimes for that reason. There is a <laughs> a lot more nostalgia bait as well in this. Um, some of it kind of tasteless, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it's some I just did not like. <laughs> and going way beyond simple Easter eggs. Um, the inclusion of live actors in animation does not feel great, even though some of these moments got the most hype out of my theater. Mm. I just They just weren't really working for me. And honestly, those are easy cuts to give more real estate for you know, making one film out of this, basically. Right, right. But all that aside, this whole episode has been about animation, and Spider-Verse does not disappoint. Overall, there is a lot more CGI used alone without the heavy cell shading we saw in the last film. Also, the intentional use of frame rate uh, that we saw in the first film is pretty much gone, but it is absolutely worth it because it allows for a style juggling uh, in a much, much more intense way, um, where previously single characters might have had different animation styles. Now, each Spider-Man brings their own animation style into the world around them, yeah, and that, it is awesome. That's cool. It that's is electric. so great. Yeah. <laughs> it is so awesome. A vis- calling it a visual feast doesn't even come close this thing is, is is the best looking animated project I think I've maybe ever seen. Wow. Like it's so good looking, so good looking. Wow. I mean, wow. It, it's just it, Sony Animations, like Sony Film Productions, kind of a dicey studio, kind of not good. Sony Animations, 
they're the golden child. They really, they really knock it out of wow. the park. I mean, that's that's high praise. But it's also so. Is it just because they're mixing so much up, or just even individually, or the main animation mm. style that they go with? It is that beautiful or good looking, or yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's, is it just the impressiveness of how much different things they're doing? Yeah, uh, how it how it seeps into the environment around these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they have an anime character uh, Penny Parker in the first one, and she's just an anime character amongst the other animation. So. If anything, it kind of looks a little bit jarring. Here, each character now has a bleed into their world that their own animation is coming through. And it's just like, man, this this is killer. Visually awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's absolutely wonderful to watch. I would single-handedly recommend this film just to see how every dimension has a new animation style to it and the film constantly outdoing itself again and again for the entire runtime. There are all brushstroke watercolors for Gwen's artistic dimension. We get a Brit Rock magazine clippings for Spider-Punk. The entire animation is like these magazine clippings. It looks awesome. We get a more glossy CGI look for the cyberpunk of Spider-Man 2099. So, seriously, this shit was just endlessly endlessly impressive and just never stops. Uh, uh, it was it was that's wonderful. awesome. Yeah, that's what you want. That's yeah. what you want in a kids movie. Oh, that yeah. overly impresses. It's good for the adults as mm-hmm. well, and it's something that's like lasting. Oh, yeah. When you know we don't get just our one Pixar movie a year right. anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it this really stands alone in its own way. Yeah, which is very cool. And, and how that plays into just uh, you know again the idea of multiverse, the writing trope of multiverse. It, yep. You know, it's not just like, oh, guess what? You know, who who did we get to play this this callback character? No, these there are there is a visual follow through. There is a design follow through to this, and it's just so impressive. Um, one of the first fight sequences shows how this just might be better than the first film. So let me explain. Mm. There is a early kind of dimensional mishap that introduces Vulture. Vulture is a you know a classic Spider-Man villain, uh, part of Sinister Six. You know, he's 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 an age old one. He comes into it, and he's this, like, Da Vinci uh, sketch-drawing version of Vulture. Already amazing. But as he flies, he's making this, like, crumpled parchment paper infection of the world around him. The fight then introduces Gwen and Spider-Man 2099, and as they're fighting, the art style is mixing and creates more dominance of the frame. That's wild. (laughs) Like, it's so good. Like, these guys are so talented over there. That is so, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, really You must have been just sitting there smiling in your seat, just <laughs> yeah. loving it. I mean, that's so great that you can get that still. Yeah, absolutely. With all the animations that we get. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like, this right here is what makes Doctor Strange 2 look like a joke. Yeah. There was there was nothing done to the different dimensions or the visual style and changing yeah. that visual fidelity. Man, I mean, granted, to this extent, could only be done in animation, but, I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. They, they wiped the floor with it. Just with creativity. Yeah. Just the care and creativity put into this. Yeah. Just something you don't get with other Marvel products. Yeah. You just don't. Oh, or DC or any superhero well, well, for that matter. that's for sure, yeah. Yeah. You know, say what you will about Sony's involvement with the Spider-Man property. I mean, obviously, the same it's licensing messy. hell here gave us Morbius last year. Very so, messy. Like, you know, there's bad that comes from it but this is such a gem that uh, Sony Animations is able to put out so every single action sequence is just absolutely golden and that's where just the the fluff of the film it gets in the way where even the fluff isn't I wouldn't call it 
out outright bad, but it keeps us away from that action, and it keeps us away from what hits most with mm-hmm. this film is the villains. Um, there's some multiple villains, and 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 uh, I, I don't want to dip into spoilers. Don't get me wrong; it's not that that filler is bad. You know, the content that is there, it's good, but it's very clearly there because this is a two part runway. If that makes sense? Uh, no, it does absolutely. Yeah, and we should know it is two hours and twenty minutes. Right. So you might want to find something to cut. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there's electricity around, just that style, the action, and our villains. Maybe it'd be a good idea to just go ahead and focus on that. Absolutely. Uh, I'll suggest it in a little bit, but honestly, my dream recut of this would be, you know, you have a two-hour, 20-minute film already. Yes, it feels long, but cut some of the moments out of this, grow it to be a three-hour long movie, and honestly, you have one of the best uh, superhero movies of all time. If uh, Whatever is going to be in part right. two. Okay, I see what you're if saying. If you just combined it to make it a real beefy three hours, right. um, I feel like it, it could really be just top-notch, just Okay. Like top everything. Well, we'll find out uh, when we see three in two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, if it brings it home. But uh, no spoilers, but one thing I just have to talk about with the villains is they utilize a entirely joke character called The Spot. Mm-hmm. And The Spot is basically he has spots that he can place around and he can like reach into like an ATM or something like that. He's entirely a joke character, like uh, meant to be a joke character within the uh, the comic books themselves. And... It is just so amazing what they were able to do with this character as a villain. It feels criminal to cut it off with a part two. It feels ridiculous to Mm. cut off how good this villain is. This is the best villain of, you know, we've been talking about (laughs) phase four of Marvel. Oh, we need a good villain. They did it in the spot. You know, (laughs) the spot is no one. Uh, So, man, I, I just, I just, I think that really accentuated my feelings of just like being robbed by this cliffhanger ending. Cause man, if only for the spot, they did it. Uh, but I don't want to end on a sour note because this was a truly awesome movie. I, I, yes, I had some problems with it that I couldn't help but feel, feel but folks, that might not affect you at all. Uh, and hopefully it really doesn't. Um, I have to be critical for this for, for the role here, but at the same time, it, this is such a, a great theater watch experience. I mean, this is absolutely something you should make time to watch, even with that cliffhanger ending. And if only to be up to speed when the third one comes out. I honestly don't know how they get even better for the next film, but Spider-Verse and Sony Animations proves that they are continually the best-looking project on the block. We're going to go ahead and give Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse a 79. Okay, 79. So, yeah, step below yep. that 82, but 79, very good. I mean, folks, yep. if you're new, kind of new to listening to us and everything like that, new to the, mm-hmm. you know, new to the daily ratings, uh, 79 is a very, very good score. Yep. Uh, when we get into the 80s, this is definitely, like, truly great. We say anything 85 and above yep. is for any audience. These are movies you want to watch before you die. Yep. Some of the best pictures ever made. Mm-hmm. So if you're at a 79, yep. uh, it's really a good movie. Yeah. And realistically, though there there's importance in clipping that 80, three points away from Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the first one. Right. Uh, you know, still, both are phenomenal movies. It just does a good show. It yeah. just goes to show how good these are. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and like you said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play different for each person. So cliffhangers, I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that just ruins the end for me. I don't know how much that will taint the rest of the content mm. throughout it. Okay. Where with you, it kind of seems like 
and correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. But the way you kind of put it was basically knowing now with this cliffhanger, some mm-hmm. of that other stuff they put in front of you mm-hmm. was almost wasteful or just purposeful and not yeah. what you needed, which I mean... I do get that also, yeah. I have to say. It feels like the runway didn't kind of respect its own time. Again, right, the filler right. there, I, I don't want to really call it filler because it was good content. content. You really, really love these characters, but I think it could definitely be cut to get us to more action and again, just do more with what the setup is. I just yeah. feel it's distinctly unsatisfying. And at two hours and 20 minutes, there's room to cut there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, still, 79% for Across the Spider-Verse, really good, Vin. This was a very good week. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was pleased. I mean, you got an 80 in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did really good. Uh, any lasting notes? Anything you want to touch on? Uh, roll credits here. Uh, no, I mean, uh, well, coming up, we got... <laughs> We got Transformers. Uh, and I'm just it's, saying that Transformers I, is sneaking in there because yeah. no one is talking about it <laughs> no yet. No one, no one, no one cares, and rightfully so. Uh, I flirted maybe covering Bumblebee because I actually think that's like kind of not terrible movie. I'm definitely not covering the Michael Bay's though. So we'll kind of see midweek what I'm in the mood for. It's probably just going to be Beast Wars. So. And I don't think anyone is all that upset about it, <laughs> I have to say. Well, I'll tell you what, we're stepping in the summer here, Vin. We got a big. Big summer uh, of yep. films. Uh, a I know. Big summer of films. Yep. And some actually good stuff, too. Yep. So much better than last year already. Oh, I, uh, for I, sure. I have to say. That's what I was reflecting on this week specifically. It was just like, like Spider-Verse damn. alone, John Wick 4. I mean, these, they, they outdo a majority of what was last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Great week, Vin. Thank you so much for watching these. Thanks for stopping by. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time here. We have the 1980, The Return of the King, with a 62%. Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system with a 70. Anomalisa uh, with an 80%. Missing Link with a 73. And finally, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse with a 79%. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. you enjoyed the podcast if you would give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by the dailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we also want to be independent from those corporate sponsors, so we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.